What's up, everybody? How are we? It's a little low on my seat. Oh, it is the 10th. It is the 10th of August, 2023. I wish today was a better day for me. It's not. It's a, it's, oh, God, boys and girls, you just have no idea. Mm, you just have no idea. Um, what a tumultuous time in my career. It's the 10th of August, uh, 2023. This is episode 167 of my live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my personal channel. How are you guys doing? Welcome. Uh, on the docket today, let's see. We have just the absolutely massive news about the uh, federal judge granting class action certification for the plaintiffs, that'd be the fighters, in the lawsuit against uh, UFC which is just enormous, enormous, earth-shattering uh, news. Even if there aren't any questions about it, I'm just going to get to it at some point. Um, so that's going to be that. Please forgive me. Um, because of the stress that I am under due to the state of things uh, around me, I am... Uh, I've made myself sick. No, I don't... Like I'm not, like, sneezing or anything like that, but... Um, I have some issue with my throat where it has like the sides of it have swollen up and it uh, hurts to talk. <clears throat> it hurts to swallow. I have a throat lozenge in to help assist me with doing this uh, chat today. I just can't. I, I wish I could get up on here. I honest to God, I wish I could get up on here and tell you that everything is rosy and great and that, um, you know. The future of all the projects that I've been working on are going in the direction that I want them to go in. But boys and girls, that is just not, that's just not the truth. Or at a bare minimum, I don't really know what's going to happen, but the uncertainty of it all has absolutely taken a toll on me. Taken an unbelievable toll on me in all the worst ways. Um, I'm just having a rough time. I'm having a real rough time. And, uh, I don't really, I, I'll have some information soon. Actually, I think no later than the end of this month, I'll actually have some, some pretty good information, some, some direction, but as it stands today, I'm just in a rough spot, a rough spot. I haven't had a good night's rest in, I, I can't remember the last time. I mean, there's some nights I've slept a little bit better than others, but, um, Dude, you just put in an enormous amount of work, and then you think at the end of the amount of work that you get to, it's going to amount to something, and then sometimes it does. In fact, for most of the time I've been working, it has, uh, just up until recently, up until recently, uh, and now everything is just so profoundly uncertain, and uh, it's beaten me up. It's beaten me up. It's beaten me up real good, so I'm going to give you the best I've got today. Uh, through what would I would describe as unenviable circumstances. Uh, I'm not asking for pity or sympathy or anything like that. That's really not what this is about, but rather that, you know, I'm just not going to get up on here and uh, pretend that everything is like awesome when it definitely fucking isn't. It definitely fucking isn't. So work with me, please. And um, I appreciate it. As I said before, um, I've got this thing going on. It's just making it hard to talk. So, you know, kind of sucks when that's your job, but uh, it is, I am where I am in all of this. So let's do this. Let's get this party started. Thumbs up on the video if you haven't already. There's a poll. Please take it about what you might expect from the fighter lawsuit. 
We'll get to some of those results at the end of the podcast today. We'll go, as you guys know, about an hour or so with the free questions, and then we'll get to some of the paid ones. If you feel so generous, if not, no judgment. But you could do me a favor. You can hit that subscribe button because that's free. Doesn't cost you a thing, right? So if you'd be so kind as to do that, I'd be really, really, uh, I'd be really appreciative of it. All right, all right. So enough with the uh, the moping, I suppose. Um, let's try to get this thing going in the right direction, shall we? Let's go. All right. Did I lock my door? Yes. So the two store won't come in. Um, I mentioned the class action lawsuit, but also other things to get to. There are fights tomorrow with Bellator. There are fights Saturday with UFC. There is some boxing. I'm actually going to be calling the prelims for the Rodriguez Lopez fight over in um, MGM National Harbor, which is there. There's like a MGM opened up a property just outside DC in this area called National Harbor, which is technically Oxon Hill, Maryland. It's funny when I moved. I moved back to DC. In December of 04, I actually moved to Oxen Hill. And um dude, it was a it was a war zone. It was a war zone. And I guess big parts of it still are, but they've developed this area right along the water. And they called it the National Harbor. And MGM built like a pretty nice casino there. I wouldn't call it like it's not as big as a Vegas casino, but it's again MGM built it, so it's like really nice. Um, this is the this, among other reasons, is why Atlantic City has suffered, because you've got all these other places. Baltimore has put a bunch of casinos as well. West Virginia's got a bunch of casinos. You used to have to resort to going to Atlantic City, and of course, they've got an MGM property there in Borgata and some other ones. But it's just it you know it doesn't hold the same um, scarce resources that it once did. Now they're just spread out. Anyway, I'll be calling that. You've got the Navarrete Valdez fight. You got Anthony Joshua fighting Robert Hellenius on short notice because Dillian White apparently can't stop allegedly taking PEDs. So that's fun. So we'll get to any of those things, UFC card, whatever. I'm going to give you what I've got for the next 90 minutes or so. Thank you for being here. And uh, sorry to dump this on you to open the show. I'm just, boys and girls, I'm struggling. Struggling. So. I always feel like it's better to be honest than not, but uh, <laughs> maybe that's why I'm in the predicament that I'm in, right? So, all right, here we go. All right, first things first. Let's pull this up, shall we? And uh, we'll add this. There we go. All right. Uh, okay, the likely purchase of Bellator seems like a great opportunity for PFL to rebrand itself. What changes would you make to give PFL the best chance it can have outside of your suggestion of the matchmaker model. This person writes, I think taking elements from other organizations as well as implementing the changes fans have been wanting to see would be great in setting the PFL apart while creating a trajectory for success. For example, take the Grand Prix, kicks and knees to a grounded opponent, open scoring, fixes to gloves for eye pokes, blah, blah, blah. All right. It's actually a pretty good question. I think first things first, if I'm PFL and I'm buying Bellator... Um, I don't think you need to keep the Bellator brand around. Uh, I think that it's not that the PFL brand is like so grand relative to the Bellator brand, but I don't know really like when, if you're buying Bellator, are you like, for example, when the UFC talks about like what we were buying, we were buying three letters, we we're buying U, F and C, you know, and it mattered because it still had, it had at the time that they purchased it in 2001, it had some cultural cachet. 
and 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 visible visibility and awareness and so that brand that identity was quite important and they made all those changes and blah 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 we all know the story it was a grand success uh you're not really doing that with bellator i think what you're doing with bellator is you're probably buying a library right you're buying you're buying access to all of the library that they might have you're buying the roster i think that's the most important part right and then probably, you know, again, there might be talent in the front office, <clears throat> excuse me, of Bellator that you might want to retain. Some you, some may come over, some may not. But in general, to me, the, the biggest two assets you'd be buying would be the fighter contracts and then the fight library. Um, because you could, like, that's going to serve you pretty well when you begin to integrate the rosters and, and you need stuff for social assets and promotional deals, whatever. So that's really what you're buying. Uh, I know there have I've, I've heard that there have been some talks that they might keep the brand alive and have kind of like a separate but equal thing. I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. If you're buying uh, a rival organization, the whole idea is so that there can be crossover. And again, you can do that while still having independent brands, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So the first thing I would say is is you know understand what you're buying. The second part is you know it's kind of funny too. I mentioned this to BC on a podcast where. Like, of all of the organizations, Bellator's cage is the only one that doesn't have a separate identity, right? So, like, think about it this way. Like, um, PFL has the smart cage. And that's a very dumb name for it. I, I make fun of them for it. I call it the Ask Jeeves cage, just as a joke. But at least it has it has some kind of separate identity from the brand. UFC has the Octagon, quite famous, obviously. Even WEC had the had the had the blue cage with the blue canvas. It had a kind of a way to stand out. Strike Force less so, I suppose, but it was had the hexagon. It wasn't really known as a big thing, but still had some some basic identity. Um, and, you know, you can sort of go down the list. In general, what I would say is Bellator's like, rounded cage just doesn't it doesn't have any unique identity. So like you don't need to borrow anything from that either. The changes that I think are the most important ones really aren't so much about absorbing Bellator other than the roster and itself. One, elbows, I think, need to be reintroduced uh, big time. I don't think that they're going to really play too much and go with borrowing anything that one does. I don't really think that's in the conversation, so I'm not even going to introduce it. But what I would say is important, and I, I would take this from what Bellator does, listen, I remember quite distinctly, it was about 10 years ago this time, I remember it so distinctly that Bjorn Rebney and his media people at the time put out a release saying, you know, we're going to start breaking things up where if you've been in tournaments before and you don't want to go back into it or you either won one or you were a finalist, I forget exactly what the rules were, but that you would be put in a separate pool where you didn't have to go back into tournaments, you were just going to be under the matchmaker model. And a lot of people were like, aren't you diluting your brand? Does this make a whole lot of sense? But the reason why he did it is because the tournament can be a great place to launch stars. That is true. doesn't always launch one, but we all know we've seen guys or ladies break out in tournaments in ways that really put themselves on the map. So tournaments can be quite valuable. I think retaining them for that reason is important. On the other hand, relentless tournaments are star killers because they just get washed back into the grind over and over again and injuries happen and the fights you're supposed to make don't happen. One of the big lessons from the Bjorn, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bjorn Rebney era of Bellator was that I even joked about it. I was like, this is the place where underdogs go to thrive. And it's true. That happens all the time. So what I think they should do is they should keep tournaments a key part of what they do as a Grand Prix model, as a Grand Prix model. 
relentless tournaments and then putting guys back into these, like also just the way in which they have to physically get ready all the time on these calendars where they're fighting so often. It's just brutal. You're going to, you're going to make guys exit their careers earlier by doing shit like that. Right. You put guys in tournaments that often, that continuously certain guys who are insanely durable, you know, like Patricio Pitbull, obviously he's, you know, come up against his limits, but you know, during that time he was able to get through of it. But I think you shorten the career of Pat Coran doing that. I do. I think I think his career was shortened by how much damage and wear and tear he had to go through on this relentless cycle of of tournaments. It's just not good for these guys. So once in a while, when it makes sense for a a, a, a weight class in the way that Cooker has structured it under Bellator, I think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Changing some of the rules now that you're not in a tournament allows you to have things like elbows because they're very worried about cuts and whatnot. It opens it all up. It opens it all up. Aside from that, I don't think you need to do much. I really don't. Make compelling matchups with the roster you have. Introduce big stakes. Continue to sign big stars. They now have Amanda Serrano on the women's side. They re-signed Clarissa Shields. That's big. I don't know what the future is with Kayla Harrison. I guess we'll see. But they've got Francis. They've got Jake Paul. They've got some things cooking here, especially if they get Bellator, and they can adjust their, their business model a little bit. I think they can do great things. But one of the criticisms I hear from the inside of the industry about PFL, and you can decide for yourself how true this is, is that like there are obviously a lot of people in the operations of PFL who are, you know, who are born and bred fight game kinds of guys. But at the very top, the executive leadership, these are not people who cut their teeth in the fight game. And they don't still have the same kind of decision making sensibility around these choices that will enable them to make some of the smarter, easier calls that the fan base would respond to and that the market would reward. They've got different ideas because they it takes time to learn how the fight game works. It's a very unique slice of sports. There's a there's an argument that I hear pretty pretty consistently actually in my time in covering the PFL is that you know they, they're excellent at raising money as you can see um, they have managed to broker some pretty important deals they've got some interesting things cooking like they can do certain very smart capable interesting things in the fight game but that they make some decisions later that they could have made sooner by virtue of their lack of experience in understanding how the fight fans ultimately reward or don't um, certain choices. So we'll see what they do. That would be how I would go through with it. But I will, only time will tell what lessons they take. Luke, do you really see Sterling's, excuse me, how do you really see Sterling's career going at 145? Who among the top 10 do you ha see having trouble with Sterling's style? It's a great question, you know. I mean, the thing is this with Sterling, like, I don't really know how he's going to look at 145. He, I think his, he's a physical powerhouse at 135. Will all of that translate up at 145 when you've got the Max Holloways and Ilya Taporias and, you know, obviously Alexander Volkanovsky's of the world who can physically match that or, you know, um, and deal with it. I mean, the kind of backpacking style, like who would you say is the backpacking guy at 145, you might be inclined to say Brian Ortega, but even he doesn't really fight that. He could fight that way, right? He's got a lot of the same skills that if he were to direct them in that way, I think he could make strong use of them. But rather, he just doesn't. He just doesn't. He, he, he'll he play in different ways. He'll jump guillotine. And he obviously, he'll do some stuff from the back. Uh, you know, he can. But it's not a – he doesn't really like – 
mat return guys to create back exposure, which he then takes advantage of. And then, you know, like Suloev stretching them out. That's Aljamain's game. So I think he brings a very unique grappling kind of threat to the, to the division. I think my question would be the same question that all of you would have, which is physically, how does it translate? Because we know he can manhandle these guys at 135. We know that. But if he doesn't have to cut weight, if he can put a little extra muscle on, not a, we're not talking a ton here, but a little extra muscle on, <clears throat> and then rearrange his grappling style, um, then there would be there would be an interesting threat there. But it all hinges on whether or not that physical style translates. Also, let me see his reach. What is Aljamain Sterling's reach? His reach would be. Let's see. According to Fightmetric, his reach is 71 inches. Right. So let's do this. So let's go. We know Volkanovski is going to have a pretty big reach, even though he's got short arms. So let's do Volkanovski. His reach is going to be 71, about the same. I think I think Max is like one less. Let's see about Toporia. Uh, he's got a... 69 inch reach event so he's got some of the dimensions you know this is just a small sample he's got some of the dimensions that could make it interesting but the the, the only question that really matters is is how does he when he physically locks up with those guys does he retain some of the same kind of advantages that he enjoys at 135 when he moves at 145 after adjusting for his own body and everything else i don't know it's a great question it's a really great question i don't have a great answer for you but it's i think the central question there all right, let's go to this one. Luke, what do you think what do you think training will look like for Francis, particularly now that he's enjoying uh excuse me, now that he's joining, I should say, Mike Tyson? Do you think that the massive payday for Francis will force him into taking no risks in training? Quite the opposite. Do fighters sometimes train just to get the fight safely and could the risk of losing the bag by getting injured be something that then affects what he looks like on fight night? Well, here's the thing. Boxing is a dangerous, difficult sport, but as we've seen relative to MMA, the demands on the body in training, now sparring is different, but just pure training, they're not nearly as difficult on the body, just in terms of the wear and tear. Like, dude, wrestling, wrestling for 30 minutes is, is fucking brutal. It's fucking brutal. I mean, that's the reason why these guys go in like two-minute periods, right? It's a sprint. It's a sprint. You know, trying to do that at length is just absolutely... You're just asking for problems. And I've said this a million times. You know what? I'm going to pull it up today. I'm going to show you what Craig Jones says about it. Um, and dude, long-term jiu-jitsu is bad for the body. I don't give a shit what anyone else tells you. Everyone's a little bit different. Some people this won't apply to. But for the vast majority of people, 15 years of actually training you know, consistently jiu-jitsu, it will tear your body to pieces. It's just the reality. And boxing will, of course, too. But in a short camp like this, um, I think it, I wouldn't really so much worry about injury. The biggest problem that Francis is going up against is, dude, you're not going to out-fucking-box this guy, <laughs> right? You're not going to out-box him. You're just, it's not going to happen that you're going to out-box. Not just another boxer, but a guy known at 6'9 with a greater reach than John Jones, known for being a slickster in boxing, you're just not going to outbox that guy. It's not going to happen. Dude, listen, his coaches know this too. They know that. they If you go in there and try to out-slick Tyson Fury, dude, it's going to be real bad for you. 
real bad. They have to mix it up. Tyson Fury, good with a long guard, good jabs. He's got a lot of different fakes and feints, and he's got a lot of different tempo changes with his distance, which he manages real well. He uses a lot of posts, right? Again, so he's got jabs, posts on the lead shoulder, jabs, post, hook, fakes and feints and everything else, and his defensive trunk movement and shoulder rolling is like second to none at heavyweight, truly second to none at heavyweight. So, you know, if 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 Francis is going to figure out something, I think, you know, this is just me thinking out loud. I think going to the body is going to be absolutely essential. You're going to have to force him to transfer his defense. I think, you know, what's the rule? Box a brawler, brawl a boxer. You're going to have to make it ugly. You're going to have to make it ugly and on the inside. Listen, there's a very simple, this is true in a lot of cases, and I bring this up all the time, but it's going to be like hyper true in a case like this. If if Tyson Fury is working at the end of his own jab and there's space behind him, I mean, there's just no chance that Francis can win. You have to you have to fight him here. Real close. Real close. I mean, he wants to work with the fakes and the feints at range with that. I think he's got like an 85, 86 inch reach. So he's trying to go way out here. Dude, you got to take all of that away or do your best to do it. Now you're asking about training with Mike. Certainly Mike knows a lot about the fight game. And I'm sure that all those guys have been able to watch tape and be like, hey, what's what's on here, you know? Um, and then make some adjustments. But I think it's going to be about getting to the inside, roasting the body, making it ugly. And honestly, this is you didn't get to see it in the Spence and Crawford fight. But if you go back and look at my Spence breakdown, like what, what are the things that Spence does? Dude, Spence straight up fucking wrestles these guys underhook and then punching to the other side collar tying framing but framing into the ropes where you're like you know you're getting cranked and another thing he does is he'll circle his head to the inside push you over as he's got lead outside foot position so these guys either trip or they have to move in these big directions to get away and then he's fucking lighting them up as they move go look at the ugas fight he was literally just using his head posting them over dude you got to wrestle him you got to wrestle him so he has to make it ugly. He's got to make it on the inside. The key is to what extent Fury, oh, sorry, um, Tyson and uh, uh, Mike Tyson and Eric Nixick and Dewey Cooper and whoever else they brought in, what all those guys can do to get him ready for that, you know. But it's it's gonna be any 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 pronounced amount of time where you see Tyson Fury here, it's curtains for him, bro. It's curtains. You cannot beat him that way. Not, not, not possible. And people are like, oh, what about the power of Francis? Listen, don't misunderstand me. I think Francis has the power to seemingly, you know, I mean, to borrow from uh, my, my favorite rapper, Vinny Paz, it's Armageddon when he balls up the fist. It's Armageddon. But, but, dude, we're talking about a guy who is like inside of boxing, slick as shit, super slick. Um, and for people who are like, I like MMA better than boxing, fine. I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you at least got to know what you're up against. And we're talking about guys who can make people miss by that much consistently all the time. Hard guy to beat, hard guy to beat. So I think it's going to be ugly wrestling on the inside, body work, making him transfer his defense, pressing him into the ropes, pressing him into the, um, into the corners and just absolutely going to work on him there. You know, and also, you know, last thing on the power thing is like, dude, he fought Deontay Wilder, you know, three fucking times. <laughs> like, 
Deontay Wilder isn't just powerful among the current heavyweights. Deontay Wilder is all-time level power. Now, I'm not saying he's the number one, but I'm saying if you picked out the top five heavyweight power punchers of all time, I think you have to put Deontay on that list. Certainly have to put his right straight on that list, you know. All right. Uh, here we go. Luke, do you think Wonder Boy, the Wonder Boy situation will have an effect on fighters on how to react in that situation? Will financial stable fighters uh, back out from the fight more often? Well, I mean, everyone's a little different, right? Excuse me. I think part of the calculus that went into Wonder Boy's situation, I think he said this explicitly, was, look, guys, he's 40. He's 40, you know? He has to be very careful about some of the decisions that he makes uh, regarding some of these situations. And, you know, you can agree or disagree. I think I would tend to think that, you know, a guy that experienced in combat sports knows what's best for him at this point. And, uh, you know, he knows that his opportunities are going to be limited. And so you got to really strike when the iron is hot. You know, whether or not this was worth it all in the end, I guess you can decide for yourself. But listen, people have made the argument, like, if you pay these guys more, then they'll be less inclined to take risk. And my argument in response to that is, like, I don't understand what the, what the problem is. Uh, oh, we, we, we as the consumers would get less fights. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I'm not looking to get maximum number of fights every single time. I mean, yeah, the more the merrier to an extent, right? Like, I'd rather have 12 good fights than nine good fights. Yes, of course. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, like, coerced labor due to financial constraints. You know, I got to tell you, the older I get, the less I'm interested in just like looking the other way on shit like that. Everyone's going to be different. If you feel different, fine, feel different. But I'm just telling you how, this is my chat. So I'm going to say how I feel. I don't really feel great about that. I don't really feel great about that, about some guy who is making a choice to compete, not because when the terms of it change last minute, right? Where either the guy falls out and they try to replace him or the guy stays and he's like massively overweight. Like this, that's not the deal that Wonder Boy agreed to. Wonder Boy agreed to fight that guy at that weight on that day. Those were the terms. And then the terms just get jumbled quite literally at the last minute. And he's just supposed to say, you know, okay, this is great. No, he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm 40 years old. I have to be, I have to be more um thoughtful about some of the decisions that that he makes. I I tend to think I understand that. But I'm just telling you, as a consumer, yes, it's disappointing when fights fall through. Absolutely. I'm not here to tell you that you don't have a right to feel disappointed that we did not get to see a Wonder Boy versus Michelle Pereira fight. I, I certainly understand. But at the same time, it's like, dude, what is fair to those guys? What is fair to them? And what is fair to them is not necessarily going to be an answer that pleases the consumer or is in the consumer's best interest. I don't know that it is. But it's not, it's not designed to be. It's designed to be one where they have more protections and they have more, more, you know, um, ability to fight on the initially agreed upon terms and not have to take last minute, sometimes very difficult changes, <coughs> excuse me, um, in order to meet basic financial obligations. 
So, you know, do I think more guys will do it? Listen, I think some people will look at a situation like this and say, I don't want the media hassle. And they'll say, no, again, some guys might be 30 versus 40. And that even if they have the financial means to say yes, um, or to say no, rather, they will still say yes. And listen, there's another type of guy in the, in the, in the MMA world who really can get a lot of fans on his or her side when they say, hey, you know what, I am going to take it. Like, for example, and again, that's a very different kind of pressure. But when Jose or yeah, Jose Aldo fell out from the initial attempt to make the Conor McGregor fight, and then Chad Mendez uh, subbed in, and Conor was all banged up. It's a completely different type of fighter. It's on short notice. It's just a disaster for him. He still took it. He still won. Like there is a shitload of risk in doing that, but the reward is tremendous. It's tremendous. So there's always going to be guys who are like, I see more reward than risk. Blah 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 because they're in different stages of their career. But for a senior level fighter who is, you know, much closer to the end of their career than the even the middle of the of their career versus the, you know, to say nothing of the beginning, when a situation like this arises if they have the financial means to say no, do I think more of them might say yes? Maybe. Maybe. But also like just the last thing on this is this is not something that happens all the time. Again, the last one that happened was when was it UFC 207. We talked about it last week, I think. When Tony Ferguson fought uh, or was supposed to fight Habib, Habib doesn't make it. Tony weighs in no problem. And he was like, what am I supposed to get here? Like, again, just goes back to the contracts. I'm not going to re relitigate all those things. You're asking about, well, financial stable fighters back up more often. I've said it before, too. Boxers do it way more regularly. They're like, I'm not fucking, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking on a guy who, who did not meet the terms of the agreement and now just still wants to fight. Fuck off. I'm not going to do it. Um, it's disappointing for us, but at some point, dude, if you're around the fight game long enough and you see who takes L's consistently over the long term, right? Who has the most cost to bear over the long term, who has the most issues to deal with over the long term fighters saying no to, to, uh, short notice changes in deals, um, I don't think that's the thing that, I, I, again, you can be disappointed, but being mad at Wonder Boy, I don't. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Not saying that this person is. I'm just pointing out more generally. You know, I just I think um, at some point you do have to ask how the sausage is made, and at some point, like thinking ethically through these, I I, I believe is a worthy exercise. Um, someone's asking thoughts on the Bulgarian weightlifting system. And it's reliance on steroids combined with a focus on maxing out. This is not a question I can give you a really uh, great answer on, but I tell you who can. Um, a guy by the two guys I'll, I'll point out. Um, Zach Tellender, who I've been on his podcast before. He's like a weightlifting coach out of, I think he was out of Austin, Texas. I mean, who isn't out of Austin, Texas these days, I suppose. But um, he's a great guy. Shouts to Coach Zach. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on YouTube. Anywhere you get your content, he does tremendous, tremendous work. He has done uh, a great deal about the pros and cons of the Bulgarian weightlifting system. And then another guy you could probably look at who I think trained with them during that era, or at least some of the vestiges of it, is Max Ida. Uh, Max Ada, it's pronounced, or his last name is spelled A-I-T-A. He is also a weightlifting coach, a high level, a super high level weightlifting coach. Um, I think he has coached guys who are ladies who have done uh, really well for the U.S. 
during the course of their career. I like both gentlemen very much. They've both spoken about this at length. Um, also, one more I'd give you, Chad Wesley Smith out of Juggernaut Training Systems. Chad Wesley Smith was a world record for a long time power lifter. I think he's got a nearly a thousand pound pull on the deadlift. I think he's got nearly a 900 or plus um, squat. Like this, this motherfucker strong. <laughs> he's super strong. Uh, he has, he's now retired from active competition. He has a company called Juggernaut Training Systems and they've gone over this as well. So any of those, any of those guys um, will give you a great answer better than I ever could. So please seek their, their wisdom, not mine. Uh, okay, Luke, do you think Adesanya, Adesanya's star power is secure now? What do you think will happen if he goes back to having dominant but uninspiring performances like against Romero, Vittori, Kenanier, and Whitaker? Yeah, it's a good question. So let's assume let's assume that given his <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> let's assume that given his last win, the one over Alex Pereira that it was transformative. It seemed transformative to me, right? The amount of like attention it got, the virality of it, the story behind it, it just seemed like it leveled him up. And we've talked about this before, how long it takes to really become a star in UFC, even if you're a champion. Like It doesn't happen even with a title win and a title defense. Sometimes it can take much longer than that. And it took him a little while. It took Silva a little while. Again, everyone being like, oh my God, Anderson Silva is this, that, and the other. Dude, I remember when people were like, didn't give a fuck about Anderson Silva. I remember this distinctly. It took a while before he became it. Like when he fought Rich Franklin, even the second time, people weren't sold on him. You know, so um, the point I want to make is let's assume, though, that he has really turned a corner. And I think that he has. You know, we had this discussion on the morning combat pregame preview with Chuck Mendenhall and Brian. And I didn't really believe it when they fought at 281. Um, but then, you know, kind of came around afterwards, but then at 287, I do think he finally broke through. All right. So we're there. So what happens in this world? If he goes and has another performance, listen, are there going to be some of the same echoes about, Oh, here's old Izzy again. Just wah, wah, wah. Yes, of course you're going to get that. No, no doubt. Um, there will be some of that for sure. Uh, although he could also add to his legend, but you're asking about a case where it doesn't, the fight is he's dominant, but boring, you know, like the cannoneer fight or something. And what I would say is you will get some of the same echoes from people like that, but there will be a little bit more, I think, if it if it matches what we saw from other champions, the criticisms really never go away. And then late stage George St. Pierre was the most boring version of St. Pierre. Now, not the one who fought Michael Bisping, but the one at the end of the line when he was like, you know, the guy against Dan Hardy and stuff like that. Like, go back and watch the GSP who fought even Carl Parisian, but like Jay Huron, you know, Frank Trigg, first BJ Penn fight. Like, just go look at those. It's a different guy. And so the point I want to make is you, the criticisms really never go away, in part because just everything you do is so heavily magnified. But what you notice is that when someone really truly breaks through and becomes a, you know, a pop culture figure or an icon in the game, I'm not necessarily saying he's quite at the icon stage, but you, you see what I, I'm getting at. There's just a lot more people who don't necessarily bite their tongues, but there's a lot more of a balanced kind of equation where the boo birds are there, the critics who don't like it are there, but there's a lot more. It's just a lot more people who are like, hey, man, have some reverence for this guy. Look what he's done. Look what he's built. Look how he got here. You just begin to see people chirp more about that. You know, again, Strickland in, 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 um, uh, 
Australia. I don't really know how all that's going to play out in that market. I don't quite know how they perceive the two of them or this matchup in particular. I don't really know. But I guess what I would say is when I just think about some of those things, I remember like late stage, you know, St. Pierre, the the weight <clears throat> of accumulated greatness ends up kind of suffocating some of the criticisms that would be there in more early stage greatness. Doesn't eliminate them. Doesn't eliminate them. But it it limits it to a degree. So you'll still see it. You'll still see it. If that if that ends up being a fight like that, which by the way, there's a decent probability it could go that way, depending on how Sean plays it, it could go that way. Um, but I just think if he has truly broken through, you'll see that late stage reverence kind of trample some of the noise on the way. All right, here we go. Okay, finally, someone's getting to the class action lawsuit. Here we go. Luke, I saw an interview with Terrence Crawford on CBS, uh, CBS Mornings where he talked about his harsh upbringing, mother paying neighborhood kids to fight him, never saying I love you, etc. As you've been open about your own mother's harsh treatment of you and having similar childhood issues myself, this person writes, I'd be interested, <clears throat> interested to know your thoughts on this and the correlation between trauma and greatness in general. Well, there is one. I don't know what the, what the academic literature says about it, unfortunately, which would be the really the best answer that anyone could give you. Let me say a couple things. One, I don't want anyone to think that like, I mean, listen, the people are complicated and they're, and they're, people have compartmentalized identities. They have compartmentalized lives. Like in the one hand, I have told you guys about many of the things my mom has done that I thought were really beyond the pale, including some of the beatings that I've gotten and some other things and some other harsh treatment. At the same time, I should, I should tell you the other side of things. And the other side of things is that, um, you know, there's many reasons why it's hard for your mother to not be in your life anymore. But one of them was for me in particular, that among all of the sort of adult figures in my life, um, my mom was the most, the most loving to me. Uh, my sister thinks that I was her favorite. That might be hard to square with some of the things that I told you, but this is what I mean about a person like being both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, it, you you can be both at the same time, and she was. So, like, I want to be clear. Like, the, the things that my mom did I thought were wrong that I have articulated to you, those are all real, and they have been impactful. But the other side of the story is, like, dude, I, I genuinely miss her love. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I, she was more so than other family members in many ways my biggest critic, uh, but also my biggest supporter, too it, it it's hard to explain but it really is true like i remember <laughs> i don't know if i've ever told you guys this before maybe i have but i don't know i remember uh when my mom got divorced for the second time i had a stepdad for a while i think he has since passed away um we didn't stay in contact he was a nice guy but we didn't stay in contact but i remember the one thing he told me when I, when when uh my mom and him split up and we moved uh he was uh He's like, don't ever let your mother tell you you're stupid. Because she had done it all the time. She'd done it all the time. You know, she'd done it so many times. But at the same time, like, you know, when I did bring home academic achievements, like no one was a greater um, celebrator of those things. And so, you know, you just, it, 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 this, you can tell it's disorienting to even explain. Imagine being a 13, 14 year old kid trying to navigate this shit. Like it was, it did a number on me. But I just want you to understand um, I feel an obligation to defend the good parts about what happened in my life with my mom 
and not just tell you all the bad parts. So they are both real, but they there is another side to the equation. In terms of what Terrence Crawford was talking about, there's a video of his mom talking about it as well. Dude, that's just straight up child abuse. I don't give a shit what anybody says. That's child abuse. That's child abuse. So straight up paying neighborhood kids to fight your your own kid to toughen them up is child abuse. Straight up, one hundred percent. No, there's no other name for that other than child abuse. Um, again, these can be complicated relationships. I'm not here to declare to you how Bud Crawford's mom feels about his her, her child. She might love him in ways that uh, would resemble everyone else, but. The act of doing that is abuse towards a child and like not saying I love you. Like, dude, I tell my daughter every day, multiple times per day, how much I love her. Um, I tell her she's beautiful every day. I tell her she's intelligent every day because if you don't, you can mess a kid up. I mean, it's easy to see a situation like Terrence Crawford and be like, oh, you know, like the more adversity, the better they'll become. But that's not really true. Terrence Crawford is a very special individual. Is a very special individual. Most of the time, talking shitty to your kid and um, giving them unnecessary, frankly, in this particular case, abusive difficulty, you're not going to get a Terrence Crawford out of that. You're going to get an inmate out of that. You know what I mean? You're going to get some. You're going to get a failure out of that. You're going to get a a lonely person out of that. Terrence is unusual, and he is clearly destined for. And I mean, already has achieved it. But I meant. As a child, it was easy to, uh, not easy to tell, but what I'm saying is he has the genetic and whatever other forms of makeup that produce greatness. He had all of those things to take the fuel from that and then let it, and let him become something extraordinary. But the lesson to take from that is not, oh, if we do this, you'll get a Terrence Crawford. You won't. You will get a damaged, messed up, failure of a person and not necessarily a failure professionally but if they're a person if they're a dad they'll be a bad father they'll be a bad husband um if that even comes to it they could be bad professionally you're just gonna mess them up now i think the question then becomes well, like well like isn't there something to be said for adversity creating greatness now that is true that is true like the very best people in any kind of professional endeavor are the ones who just who accepted that they accepted that uh adversity was a thing to make themselves better and used it as fuel and to an extent i think all of us have done that at various parts of my life in our lives i've done that to an extent in various parts of my life i you know i i had to use fuel from doubt or anger i felt at something to push me through but ultimately that can only propel you so far and for so long there have to be other elements in place and i think those are the healthy ones about discipline, about the value of hard work, about understanding um, the 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 long term process at play, and then trying to enjoy parts of that too, because that will carry you pretty far as well. I'm, you know, there are certain people who are very successful who are like psychotically competitive. I'm really not talking about those. So, you know, you're asking thoughts on the correlation between trauma and greatness in general. Listen. I attribute anything, I'm not in any way declaring anything I've done to be great, um, but to the extent I've achieved anything I have set out to do has part of my upbringing helped me get there. Yes, I think that is partly true. But, you know, <laughs> dude, it fucked me up for all my life. Like, you just shouldn't do that to children. 
you just shouldn't do that to children. It's it, it, you, you will ruin them. Um, and it takes a long time and dedicated work to undo, you know, adding additional trauma on top um, to motivate someone. You know, you might get something out of it. I'm not here to declare that it doesn't happen. Like, you know, guys from humble, difficult backgrounds end up having a certain kind of hunger that makes them ferocious, particularly in fight sports. This is this is a well-known thing. But I always try to tell you guys the story. I'm not making any comments about fighters. I'm not making any comments about boxers whose individual lives I, I can't. I can't say enough about in terms I don't know anything about it to, to have an educated comment, but I do know some of the guys I served with. And I'm telling you, I'm like, please listen to me. The most gung ho fucking Marines I served with, dude, they were absolute savages and they were very good at their jobs. They had first class PFTs, blah, blah, blah. Dude, they were nightmare husbands and absentee fathers. You know, like, they were messed up. They were messed up. So I'm glad that Terrence Crawford has arrived at a place in his life where he is not as encumbered by these things. Um, and he has turned out to be just an absolute, like, dude, I said this before, you got to live in the Bud Crawford era. Congratulations. That's how great he is. But just telling your kids, like you're not telling your kids you love them or ha having neighborhood kids fight them, it's fucking abuse, man. And there really is no defense of that. All right, let's get to this part, because this is the one that I have been dying to talk about. Let's talk about this fighter lawsuit. So what did the person ask here? They asked, with this class, excuse, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke, with the class action lawsuit moving forward, I have a few quick questions in the world the fighters uh, win. Number one, what will the settlement be, at least your estimation of the settlement, Two, what are, your, what are your estimation of the changes the court would force on the UFC? And three, in a perfect world, if you were the judge, juror, and executioner, what would your rulings be? I, I I can't even begin to fathom what the last one would be. But I'll tell you the two things that are really sort of standing out that kind of matter here. First of all, let me say something. Now, Morning Combat is nominated this year for Best MMA Program, and we won it the last two years. I don't know if we'll win it this year or not, um, but... There's been many years where I thought I had done great work and I was never nominated for anything. Um, and that happens. Like people have different views of your work than you might have of your own. And if you look at the current crop of the nominated MMA journalists, I'm not in any way here asking you not to vote for them. Aaron, we had Aaron Bronsteder on the show yesterday. Like, please, please go vote for him. But what I am saying is, uh, and I'm not going to bag uh, on on um, Fighters Only for not nominating John Nash. But what I would say is if anyone from Fighters Only is listening, I really think you guys should consider putting him on the list next year. For whatever eligibility period this covers, the subsequent awards should put him on that list because John Nash is not out there telling you which fighter is in and which fighter is out. He doesn't go to slap fighting press conferences you know, and I guess, listen, some people have to do some of this shit for their job. It's, it's, a, it's, this is a very difficult business and people try to make their way the best that they can. What I am trying to point out to you is this guy does actual fucking journalism, real world, big time impact shit. And he has been all over this case from the word go, including uh, revealing to the world that this case had finally moved forward with his class action certification. John Nash does journalism. He doesn't do fight previews. He doesn't do, you know, 
this manager told me this bullshit. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He tries to figure out how does the business run, who is taking advantage of who. Let's shine a light on the folks that, um, on the practices that need more exposure, right? So start there. Now you're asking about what will the settlement be or your estimation of the settlement? Well, they have asked, my understanding is between, I think, more than 800 million to anywhere between 800 million and 1.6 billion. Uh, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. That could hit many multiples by the time this case goes through, either through settlement or if it reaches a jury. Now, I have a feeling this is just not going to reach a jury. I mean, this is now, like, guys, did you read the judge's um, decision in all of this? I mean, he, how do I say this? He found the UFC's lawyer's argument deeply unpersuasive not even close to persuasive whatever persuasive is he found their arguments to be the opposite of that uh he didn't grant identity class certification which would have been anyone with like video game rights or image rights who in that period of time but those would have been much less in terms of what the rewards could have been it was the bout class that he certified and that's about 1200 fighters unless they opt out and now you're just talking billions and billions of dollars, literally. I mean, it could be, it could be, I mean, is five billion off the table? Not really. Not really, right? It could be very, very well be on the table. This is fucking massive. But that isn't really the biggest part. The, the biggest part of the story is not that 1,200 fighters could be entitled to a spread of a, of a billion dollars or more. That's significant, but not the big story. The big story is that the judge through this class certification has agreed that um, the plaintiffs have standing. He didn't grant it already, but he, they have standing, which means they could eventually get it. They are eligible, essentially as a way maybe of saying it, for injunctive relief. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds on what it all means, but it basically means this. He could rule in such a way as to change the UFC's business practices. And the biggest one he could rule on, and in fact, part of the story of this is the coercive contracts in the judge's mind. So noodle this for a second, right? Noodle this for a second. The judge could rule that MMA contracts could be no more than two years in length, right? No promoter, but certainly not the UFC, could have any contract longer than two years. That would be the max. Think about what that would do to the MMA industry, where every two years you had a brand new deal and you could go from this promoter to that promoter to this promoter to that promoter. Folks, it would still probably be the case, almost certainly, that the UFC would retain its space as the dominant brand. But opening that and allowing A-level figures to go here, 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 and mix and match and everything... It would completely reorder the MMA industry. When we talk about how big this is, we're not there yet. But if the if ultimately we end with a court case, even through settlement, if we end with a court case where uh, UFC contracts can no, cannot be any longer than two years, that would massively, massively change the industry. The fighters would have significantly more power to 
seek out any promoter they want, essentially, and have their wages rise far more through competition and have much more ability to do what basically like Canelo and Bud Crawford are doing. They sign three-fight deal with PBC, two-fight deal with Matchroom, you know, whatever. And then they just jump, two-fight deal with top rank, whatever. And then they just jump around, ESPN, DAZN, Showtime, blah, 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 blah. And they're moving around. And they have this mobility to go and chase the biggest paycheck, where now promoters are almost in this sort of like continuously bidding process for your services. Now, I know what some folks are going to say. It's like, oh, well, then you mean like some of the guys might be much more readily uh, to leave the UFC to go somewhere else? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because what the judge says in his ruling, and I cannot encourage you enough to read it, what the judge says quite clearly in his ruling is he doesn't think that there is anything to the idea that what the UFC has done is like some otherworldly capacity for fight promotion. What he spotlights are coercive contracts. In fact, let me pull this up for you here so you can see it for yourself. Um, here we go. Let's. This is from Bloody Elbow. Let's switch over. Look here. So he, he talks about through all the uh, chicken uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken ads. First is how the court found the Ultimate Fighting Championship, quote, willfully engaged in anti-competitive conduct to maintain or increase their market power, end quote, in the industry. And he continues. This is the judge writing. Quote, this was mainly accomplished in three ways. First, through the enforcement of exclusionary contracts, which kept fighters locked up in anti-competitive manner. Second, through extra contractual methods to make fighter contracts effectively perpetual, so like they're constantly adding on things that would just extend these contracts into forever. And then third, through acquisition and shutting down of rivals. So that might, might be like buying strike force or something like that. By the way, the UFC does remember this? Remember this picture? Hold on. Yeah. Remember this? Boy, that's gonna come back to haunt him big time. Big time. I mean, couldn't haunt him more. Lots of lots of bragging on the front end. Like people, you know, I remember when Dana White was like doing his shtick in the 2007 or 8, and people were saying at the time, like, oh, it's so fresh, it's so different. You don't hear CEOs in sports talk like this. And I'm like, dude, there's a fucking reason they don't do that. There's a reason they don't do that. Because you're gonna get sued, and all of the bragging and all of this other shit on the front end, it's all gonna cost you on the back end. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the back end. Because now all of that, and in, not including but not limited to Joe Silva's emails bragging about how much they control the industry, all got subpoenaed, all got used against him, and the judge cited it in his reasoning for why he made the choices that he made. That's why CEOs don't go out and just fucking jack off in their rivals' faces. Uh, because if it ends up being a situation where there are regulatory consequences or implications, you're only creating problems for yourself down the line. Well, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, welcome to the consequences because they have begun to arrive. You're looking at them now. The judge's ruling is unequivocal, unequivocal, and you don't have to take my word for it. Oh, Luke's biased against the UFC. Fine. Go read what the judge has to say. You don't have to take my word for it in any capacity whatsoever. Go read what he has to say. Because what he basically argues is there's nothing really special. I mean, yes, they're, they are they are talented promoters. There's no denying. And they are successful promoters. There's no denying. 
but there's nothing so crazy talented about them that explains their market dominance. In fact, what he argues, after hearing what the other experts had to say, is it's quite the opposite. The reason why they have maintained dominance is just because of the contracts they employ and the way in which they have gotten rid of the competition by buying them out. That's it. Flatly calls them a monopoly, by the way. Flatly calls them one. And says that these practices uh, are a huge fucking problem. A massive problem. So, ladies and gentlemen, if this continues, you are going to get just a different MMA industry. There's just really no other way to say it. The MMA industry will not look the same after this if this continues. The question is, if you get a settlement, how much do they end up giving up? And again, I'm not so much concerned or even focused on the dollar amount, right? Uh, 700 million, 800 million, a billion, 2 billion, whatever it ends up being. I don't, I mean, that's not to say it's insignificant, but that's really not what I'm focused on. The change would be in how they are required to alter their business practices. And if fighters can get out of contracts in a year or two routinely by matter of law, oh, it's a brand new ball game. It's a brand new ball game. Now, now let's see who can compete. Now let's take a look at what competition looks like because you don't have competition now. I've said it before, Bellator, PFL, One, any other MMA promoter can no longer out-compete the UFC unless there was some kind of scandalous disaster for them from, you know, I, I don't even want to say, but just something that ruined their business in some kind of way. And I'm not wishing that upon them because that would be bad for the entire MMA industry. I'm simply saying in a theoretical world, you know, um, like that, maybe the other ones could outcompete them, but it, in the world in which we live, as I, we understand it today, they can't. And as I've said it before, Bellator, PFL, one, I don't think any of these organizations even make money. They don't even make up, they don't even make profit. And Bell, if Bellator does, it's quite modest. Um, that's certainly PFL and one don't, right? And I guess if Bellator was making a ton of money, they wouldn't be on the chopping block for a sale. So, uh, here we are. But what happens when guys can just move around after two years? And Patricio Pitbull can go fight Max Holloway. And Jose Aldo can go fight, I don't know, whoever. And Alexander Volkanovsky can go fight, again, this is a world where everything has been reshuffled or whatever. Um, somebody who all the fans want to see him fight over there. Or um, I'll make something up. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Jalatin Almeida can go fight Anatoly Malikin. Anatoly Malikin can go fight whoever and then there's just back and forth and constant like that right now you have a completely different industry now you have competition now you have a much more even playing field now let's see what it looks like for these otherworldly promotional abilities now let's see that that's what they're facing that's what they're facing i don't think there's any fucking way this goes to a jury no chance. They don't want to risk that at all. Can you imagine if a jury agrees essentially with the judge, ultimately long-term, and what they might do? They would lay down the hammer of Thor on them. So I don't think that they want to risk that at all. And of course, the plaintiffs might not want to risk that either because what if you do push everything to a trial and everyone just takes the UFC side and then this all goes up in smoke? This will get resolved. But in the end, in the end, uh, they are facing a world, a potential world, I should say, a potential world where 
if injunctive relief is ultimately granted and made uh, official and it changes contracts to be, you know, these limited time things, <laughs> brand new ball game, brand new ball game. And by the way, that wouldn't even necessarily diminish or, um, you might be asking, well, what happens in the Ali Act in a situation like that? They could still pass that. They could still pass that, you know? So I don't think that that's likely. Uh, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, despite all of his bravado, seems to be uninterested in this now for reasons I'm not really certain about. I don't know what he's doing, but my point being is like, this was a massive, massive ruling, not merely for the plaintiffs. This was a historical, um, well, I don't know if I want to say that quite yet. It's the news could not be bigger, whether or not this will lead to something tangible uh, in the industry still remains unclear. There are hurdles that remain, but what I guess what I wanted to say and to end this conversation is you might look back, what day is it today? The 10th. Yeah, you might look back at August 9th, 2023 as one of the most pivotal dates in all of MMA history. That's not in any way an exaggeration. That's how big this is. That's how big this is. If you can't keep the guys under lock and key and they're free to go anywhere and organizations can clearly raise money to, to sign their services and now you have access to the pay-per-view end of the town, excuse me, <coughs> the talent roster and the Conor McGregor's can go fight Mayweather whenever they want, right? And the Nate Diaz's can go fight the Conor McGregor's without the UFC. They could do it by themselves. Think about that, right? Or the Diaz's could do, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Like the, the potential here for the balance of power to shift in the industry is extraordinary. This is no small matter. This is no small matter. This is huge, huge. We, we, we will see what comes of it. But um, biggest news in MMA by a million miles. You could announce Conor McGregor is going to fight Nate Diaz, you know, um, tomorrow, you know, for free uh, on Rumble or some shit. And it still wouldn't even be a fraction as big as this one. This is massive news, massive, 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 huge, extraordinary news to the highest order. You could get a, basically a different MMA industry by virtue of this. So what I'd say is be real careful about th days like this. Be real careful. And then the next time people are like, hey, why don't CEOs ever talk like that? Very good reason. Very good reason. Um, I got a couple. I'll do maybe one more of these and then we'll get to some of the paid ones. Someone's asking why, Luke, why don't we see Barambolos, Barato Platas, or other more sophisticated BJJ techniques used in MMA? Is it because of their success rates? You see Barambolos and uh, whatnot. I've seen it in like regional level MMA, but, um, you know, just kind of inverting to take someone's back through like a behind the leg entanglement is, you know, I don't think that's the best use of your time, right? Any time where it's not it's not a sacrifice throw, but any time where you're like you're going to your back as your first choice in MMA, not to say that that's wrong, 
Like we can think of many examples where it's not, but as a general rule, like you don't see the Dagestani guys doing that for a reason. You just don't want shit to go bad and then you're stuck there, you know? Um, okay. Oh, got to get to this one and then we'll, and then we'll call it a day. Curious to hear your thoughts on the laughable statement. I believe the UFC released. No, they did not release it about how the majority of the fighters from the Utah event choosing to take non-disclosure agreements regarding their pay somehow benefits their negotiation ability. No, no. In fairness to the UFC, that was not from them. That was from the commission. <laughs> that was from the commission. That was from the commission. Hey, you just, you can't even, you can't believe this is the world we live in, but it's the world we live in. No. So basically what Utah says is if you want to release this independently, you can. A few of the guys did. Um, Gabriel Bonfim, I think Kevin Holland did. There were some other ones as well, about four in total who did it. Not many. Um, but what they had argued was the release of this actually hurts their ability to negotiate, which is like the exact opposite of the truth. Like other um, unions or trade associations that work as, you know, the representative of their uh, athletes in the, in the major sporting leagues in the States demand it. They demand that it's public. Because when it's public, you can say, I'm entitled to that or more if you have a similar level of, uh, you know, um, similar stage of your career. It enables you, the lack of information gives power to management. The more information gives power to uh, the the uh, the union members in this particular case, or the trade association members. And you have, a, you have a, by the way, the commission apparently paid an undisclosed sponsorship fee to lure an MMA promoter there which is like just a complete conflict of interest in every way imaginable. And then put out a statement being like, it's actually bad for them when they negotiate, which is like, like, like fucking twilight zone shit. This is being like, this is almost like your doctor being like, what you need to do is stop eating um, fruits and veggies and nuts and going for a walk. And I need you to sit on the couch and eat nothing but shit sandwiches. That is what you need to fix your health. You'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. It's that. This is the eat the shit sandwich advice from your Utah Sports Commission. Like, dude, we are living in a world now. This is why this lawsuit is like so relevant, not just because of the implications of it, but we're living in a world now where all of the centers of power are working together for their institutional benefit at the expense of any of the contracted labor who they have to um, pay out to work with. And it's a little bit of an overstatement, but here you have a case where the athletic commission is in partnership, essentially not like a, not a, an official one, like, Hey, we have a agreed upon partnership, but the sort of informal arrangement where we want the promoter to come, we're not going to say that the fighters can't get their pay made public, but we're just sort of going to say that if they do, it'd be really bad for them. Who keeps calling me? Uh, someone keeps calling. Um, we have this sort of like arrangement where um, essentially, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? And the fighters, who's protecting their interests? Who's protecting them? Sure as fuck ain't the commission. Not in Utah anyway. All right, with that in mind, if you have any paid questions, we can get to them now. Let me take a look at the poll here. I believe my guy Ant sent me one. Okay, here we go. 
So the question was, will the fighter lawsuit change the MMA industry? Don't know, not sure, 36%. I think that's fair. I mean, even I don't know. Like, I have, I, I mean, I understand what it could do, but like, is it going to? I don't know. We'll have to see. Yes, 33%. No, 30%. Wow. That's a, that, that actually makes a fair amount of sense. Um, so everyone who voted, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. If you have any paid ones, we'll get to them. Jesus Christ, there's a lot. Uh, all right. Let me get through this as quick as I can. Have you watched Sanhagen's striking video? So I bought it. I have not watched it yet. He's got my money, <laughs> but I haven't had time to take a look at it yet. Do you think him putting out can help his opponent? A little, yeah. Bonus, best instructional video you've watched. The uh, Power Bottom from uh, Craig Jones. <laughs> He's got fucking hilarious. No, is it Power Ride or whatever it's called? The Power Ride philosophy? The Craig Jones instructional where he basically explains the way in which jiu-jitsu scores points where you you know you knee cut to the side and then you go to mount and these people can still use their legs to create movement which is how movement underneath is created this is not a meaningful way to control someone you actually have to control their legs there's more to it than this but you have to control their legs and then you can actually have physical control over the other person it was a really 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 well done um instructional but you know i know that him and gordon ryan are our best friends gordon's got great instructionals too so does john danaher Let's go. Feel better, Luke. I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. Uh, sorry. Yeah, dude, I don't even. I mean, I appreciate this. It's very nice for Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. Um, it's just a rough time, man. It's just a rough time. I don't know what else to say, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to make sure you remain on the Power Slap email list. Did you guys see Dana yesterday? Uh, saying like how bad Showtime Boxing's production was at a power slap post, what do they call those post fight, post slap press conference? And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, to each his own, to each his own, but it takes an enormous amount of, what's the word? I'll, I'll put it this way. I could never with a straight face promote how good the technology is on the production side of a slap event basically a week or so after showtime boxing just aired spence versus crawford dude you could air spence versus crawford in like 144p and that would still be in every way better than 4k 8k power slap you know there's nothing there's absolutely nothing from a technological perspective that slap could ever do that would ever put it on par forget spence crawford with a respectable boxing match i mean you couldn't even touch spence crawford like it wouldn't even like not even there's no there's no technological gap it's like i mean i'm sure i, I i'm sure that the people who work on the production side of slap are talented you know like they have a job to do. They're going to do it the best that they can. Like, you know, I get that, but it's just two garbage pail kids hitting each other. It's much easier to show. And it's two garbage pail kids hitting each other with no defense. Like that, that, that will, no matter what you dress it up with, whatever technology you put, that will never, ever be anything worthy of exaltation ever. Uh, just want to say thanks for everything y'all have done for the last few years. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, bro. Thank, thank you. Um, 
My wife is from Lawton. Oh, damn, bro. She might steal your wallet. Every time you dunk on it, I pause the video. And sh- <laughs> Dude, Lawton, Oklahoma, man. I swear to God, this is here. You want to you want to know Lawton, Oklahoma? Here's Lawton, Oklahoma. Ready? There's Fort Fort Sill is in Lawton, Oklahoma. So I had to spend time there for two reasons. One, my dad grew up in Lawton, but two, the Marine Corps uh, is now not. They don't. I don't think the Marine Corps does much artillery anymore, but they did when I was in. And so we would have to train. Um, sometimes you go to Twenty Nine Palms, and they would have. A, we, we would do like a, what's called a CACS, a combined arms exercise. But sometimes you would just have to go to Army bases to train. Fort AP Hill, uh, Fort Sill. So we would go to Fort Sill, and we would use their facilities, bro. It's strip malls, and it's angry Steve's bail bondsmen next to, um, you know, Crazy Bob's pawn shop. That that is Lawton, Oklahoma, dude. Like anyone, I cannot believe my dad got out of that place, and like I managed to be, you know, uh, I managed to. The fact that my dad got out of Lawton, Oklahoma, and did something more important than stealing car stereos is a miracle a miracle okay i mean guys i appreciate these questions i'm just not i'm i'm so fucking done with this topic i appreciate the donation i'm sorry to i can't give you an answer that you are or are not looking for but i'm just i'm i'm so fucking done on this thank you christian i appreciate it bro uh thanks man these are very nice everyone's i feel bad now i didn't i'm not trying to generate um um donations off of sadness <laughs> which it, it appears i have done but uh but thank you thank you uh what role does a manager play for a fighter great question just relationship with the brass mostly i feel like a fighter could represent himself almost as good as if needed okay so again we've been over this a little bit but the basic idea would be as follows like what you would really want from one is to the thing is it's like a lot of guys have managers when they don't really need them and what they really just need is an attorney or if the industry changed now that's different where again let's imagine contracts are two years and you've got multiple bidders at the same time coming after you in a, in a fairly regular rotation like in an eight-year rotation this would be happening on four different really important occasions yes a manager would be very very important to create to, to get you the, the best kind of deal and help you with career advice something like that would be important but basically there's two kinds of managers there's guys like nate diaz as manager who um helps them navigate media uh opportunities uh business opportunities um, what they should do with the UFC because they've got you know a lot more leverage than other guys do, relatively speaking, that kind of a thing. I think Nate's his only MMA client, like that sort of thing. And then you have the other ones who basically, from what I can understand, they've they've uh, they've not made it clear to me otherwise, but from what I can understand, they just seem to act like brokers, where they end up the UFC like goes to the manager and they're like, hey, we need a 170 or for blah blah blah, and then they kind of fill it in and they make money at scale. Um, whether these guys are successful or not, but because they've got so many of them, they can they can still um, derive a nice income. Um, that's basically the, the sum total of it. Most guys don't really need the ladder, but they, well, the other part is the manager ends up acting like a gatekeeper to the UFC where the, the matchmakers then look to the manager, like, you know, show me what you got. And so having that relationship between manager and matchmaker can be quite important. But what I would say is in a healthier industry, you would not want that relationship in a healthier industry. You would want there to be some firewall separation between them, but that's really not the industry that we have. Um, Alexander gave a nice donation. Thank you, buddy. That's very nice of you. So did Jeeps. Uh, this person. Okay. So, oh yeah. Uh, same dude. Do we know what show money is? It doesn't exist. 
Does that mean weigh-in show or the cage closes? And can a good manager affect this? I kind of went over this before, but it's basically like this. These are terms that commissions have used at various times, but they don't exist in UFC contracts. I don't think they exist in Bellator contracts either. Uh, but the basic idea would be this. And from I, Again, I've not seen every single UFC contract, but every single UFC contract that I have seen splits your pay into two parts. Now, some guys are different. They get a flat sum, but in general, it would be purse and then bonus. And the purse you're entitled to upon bout completion. So you're asking, could a manager get you some protections in the event that you weigh in and your opponent does it or whatever, and you get some measure of that? In a different industry, you could, but I don't know what existing leverage they would have to, to make that work. Thanks, bro. That's very nice. Appreciate it. Uh, oh, you will. Oh, you will. You will. I don't know exactly when. I don't know exactly when, but you will. You will. Uh, Alazov versus Gregorian in one. Did you happen to watch? I still have not seen it yet. I'm sorry, guys. There's so many things I have to prep for. And I have to kickbox and just ends up kind of taking a bit of a, uh, you know, backbench kind of position. Uh, do you think Beltor 300 or EOC 300 will look better? Not the whole white gloves for Grand Prix or Gold Match. Um... So people didn't like UFC 200's gold mat. I didn't hate it. I don't know if I loved it, but I didn't hate it. I hope is the answer. I hope the promoters do something a little bit special. I think that would be really cool. Pork roll or I don't eat pork. So there you go. Uh, Sofia Vergara or Selma, Selma Hayek. Oof. Boy, I mean, this is the Sophie's choice of um, um, middle-aged uh, Latin women. Um, you know, I've always been, I have to go Selma, but Sophia is, it's 1A, 1B, you know. If you were stuck in a life or death team trivia game, but your partner had to be, <laughs> I mean, listen, I have great respect for the career of BJ Penn. I have great respect, believe it or not, for the, the career. And listen to the words I'm saying, the careers of BJ Penn and uh, Tito Ortiz, but, uh, in the situation that you had posited, I think I'd just forfeit. Do you think the commanders might actually change the name back? There is no way they're going to go back to, I'm going to say it one time, there's no way they're going back to Redskins. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not in any way, shape, or form is that going to happen. And I think all the people who are pushing for it are out of their minds. You might get a change from commanders. That's true. That's true. You are not going to get the old name back. It's not going to happen. Depression runs in my family. Uh, biological dad hung himself. Sorry, bro. And mom attempted pills when I was nine. Jesus, that's a lot. I recognize when I start to shut myself off from the world, you also catch yourself when stress gets to you. Yeah, dude. Yeah. P.S. Sounds like strep. It might be, dude. I don't know what I have. I don't know what I have. Um, I don't have a fever or anything. And, I, you know, I can, you know, go to the gym. I mean, I have my own gym here in my house I've kind of built, but... You know, I, I'm not like down that way, but like, just, dude, my throat is swollen. Like, I can feel it swollen here, you know. Um, yeah, dude, I can always catch myself. The good news is I've been lucky to have people around me who have helped me identify some of the things, some of my own like negative self-talk uh, that has been clarifying. Um, but yes, I think having some self-awareness of your own limits and your own um, hang-ups or... Uh, 
routines that you go through that put you in bad places, I think is critically important. How would Umar do if he moves to the UFC at one? F- you mean Usman? Umar is in the UFC. Oh, you mean Umar if he moved up? Well, dude, I don't know. I mean, let's see how well he does at 135 first, right? Que tal, Luke? Hope all is well with you. Uh, what should Crawford's next three fights be? Charlo, Spence, and then Zoo? Que te vaya bien. Well, mil gracias. What I would say is for Crawford, so he's going to have to do Spence next probably no matter what. After that, I got to tell you the Charlo fight. I just love it. I don't know if that's going to be possible. I don't know what's going to happen with Charlo and Canelo. I don't have a faintest idea, but I'm sold on that one. I'm sold at 154 Charlo versus um, Crawford would be amazing. And I tell you what, I'm, I mean, okay, if if Crawford goes to 160 or 168, I might pick against him. I'm not picking against him 154 and below. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> Learn that lesson. <coughs> What's wrong with dad rap? What? Aren't you in that demo? Do you like any current rappers? Drake, Lil Baby, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. Um, not really. Listen, dude, I'm a white, I'm a 44-year-old white guy. Like, who gives a shit about what my opinions are on any of this stuff? Um, who do I no? Um, I like so listen, I like uh some stuff from DaBaby. I like some stuff from Drake, very little, but some. I like some stuff from a little bit of Travis Scott, not much. You know, little pieces here and there uh, in general. But in general, no, I don't. It's just not, it just doesn't do anything for me. But, like, you know, it's not – I'm not the audience. Like, hip-hop is for young people. And the artists say this. New hip-hop is for young people. It's not for me. You know, it doesn't hinge on my participation. Like, I'm just a guy. You know, So, um. Curtis Dukes, thank you, Curtis. Again, I'm, I feel now I feel embarrassed that people are doing this, but it's too late now, I guess. Do you feel that back control is what Mount used to be in the early days of MMA? Yes, there seems to be few guys with great back escapes and back triangle. Yes, Mount used to be a, like the end of all things, and even back is not like that now. But um, yes, it used to be just much more of a fight-ending position and a dangerous position than it is today. It's, guys can't even hold it today. Favorite unranked UFC fighters to watch? Well, I'm not sure who's ranked and unranked. Let me see here very quickly. Um, uh, you know what? He hasn't had the best run, surprisingly, but Guram Kutateladze, he, he's fucking good. Um, is Kevin Holland ranked? I don't know if Kevin Holland is ranked. Is he ranked? Yeah, he's ranked at 12. Okay, so I can't quite bring him in, you know. But I, I Guram. Guram Kutateladze is fucking awesome. You know, Pat Sabatini, I think, is pretty good. Um, yeah, there's a lot of guys. Shouts to Billy Q. I love Billy Q. You know, great guy. So, yeah, there's there's, there's, there's lots of unranked guys who are fun to watch. And, and ladies, too, who are fun to watch. Uh, anything you can tell us about why voting in the World MMA Awards is so much more important this time around? Um... What could I say? The first one was a surprise. The second one was also a surprise, but because we'd got the first one, it was like a cool bonus, but it didn't really change much for us. Um, This would be massively important to set up, I think. 
it doesn't hinge on the award. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there is going to, whatever the next chapter of MK looks like, it will be influenced by that award, whether we get it or not. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, Colby, zero wins in the top 10. Dustin P in the last five fights, only one win over a current top 10 challenge. Ch top 10 Chandler same all are ranked in the top three in division privilege somewhere in there is a question I don't know where it is. I don't know what you're saying like I don't, I'm not sure how to answer that uh from corrupt okay American Revolution win from corrupt Supreme Court justices to old politicians that belong in a retirement home Congressman openly insider trading. Is this just the status quo? How do we fix this? You know, I'm reminded by um, previous periods of history uh, in the United States government where corruption was, and this is more than, you're, you're sort of pointing out like corruption, gerontocracy, self-dealing. We're just living in an age where, uh, I've said this before, where the elites of the country are not really held to account and they're not really charged with things that they should be charged with. And, uh, we are, my hope is that there's going to be a future era where a lot of this stuff there have been pre, the there have been previous administrations presidential administrations that made this kind of rooting out of anti uh they made anti-corruption grant in particular a staple of what they did and had a great effect at it i am hoping that um we can get a a, a future version of something like that because other than that, I don't really know what to tell you. Thank you, Christopher. Jesus, these are very people. Y'all are being way too nice to me. What if all four of the Bellator title fights go the distance? That is the risk they are running. So I remember when Bellator had King Mo fight Gegard Musasi. King Mo won. That was one of three title fights on CBS. I believe all three of those went the distance. They're going to add a fourth. It's a risk they are running. It's a risk they are running. Happy birthday to our girl E. Oh, I know what you did. I know what you did. I'm not mad at it. It's kind of funny. You almost got me, but you didn't. But nice try. There we go. Best piece of advice you received when it came to moving past childhood trauma. Um, I don't you just move past shit like that, bro. <laughs> you don't just you don't just wake up one day and then decide you're done with it. Um I, I think I would just say though that uh the best way to explain this um you don't get to declare to yourself you're done with it it's it's the the demons are not so easily uh eschewed but what i would say is um you have to realize that the things that happen to you and the negative the uh, the, the the events that happen and the negative things that happen to you um Virtually all of it is correctable with the right kind of help. It seems like it's not correctable. It actually is. For what it's worth, I think journalists do add some value to the sports coverage. It's hard to put into words, but promotion, self-covering, athletes, influencer type, all three don't do it for me. Buddy, that's the future. That's the future. Sports media won't go away in particular, or I should say altogether, but it will dramatically shrink. Because there's just not an incentive. Unless they have a large audience, there's just no incentive to work with them. Well said, Luke. Child abuse is a terrible means to ensure future success. We just 
don't pay as much attention to the broken people who don't make it to like Terrence has. Yeah, man. Like Terrence is amazing. Terrence is an amazing guy for a lot of reasons, but just shitting on your kid like that, you are not going to create a Terrence Crawford. You're going to create an inmate. How would you improve the BMF belt in the future? People keep asking. It's a great question, Chris, and I appreciate the donation. I don't have strong feelings about BMF. Does I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't mind that it's there, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's like either the fight is good or it's not. And like, you know, the UFC has done this well where they picked Jorge and Nate and you knew you were going to get action. They picked Justin and they picked Dustin. You knew you were going to get action. But like, if they keep doing it, you might end up getting a situation where like, uh, look at this. Hold on, by the way, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Watch Power Slap 4 live and free on Rumble. Close. Thank you very much. Done with that. Um, what if you get a scenario where the fight kind of sucks and then someone gets the belt? Like, you know, it it, it doesn't, it's not going to change their fortunes. I mean, I guess it helps them with their contracts and the kind of money they can make. But you, you see my point. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, I, I don't know what it's supposed to mean. I, I, I don't, I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I, it's just there for me, you know? I disagree with so many things, especially politics. However, I don't think you will ever understand how much of an impact. Oh, that's Jesus fucking Christ. Dude, this is very nice of you. Every week, I look forward to your Thursday. Uh, me couple of video was uh, inspiring. Simplify. Well, again, I didn't. I don't think I did that video very well, and it caused a lot of backlash and hurt to people I like, and uh, it could have been better. Um, should have been better. But, um, you know, listen, I the best thing that someone could say is I don't agree, but I want to hear, you know? I don't know if that's the best thing, but that's a great thing. You got to listen to people who you don't have to listen to me, but you have to listen to somebody out there who says things that you're unaccustomed to hearing because over time you're going to be like, Oh shit. Uh, again, not me, but someone else in your life, you know, wisdom comes from unusual places and not from necessarily from the same worldview you've been cultivating all your life. It's, you have to just kind of develop an ear for it and we all get it wrong. I'm going to continue to get it wrong. We all do, but it's an important exercise. It will benefit you long-term to do those kinds of things. Just started from the top and heard you were sick and still doing this. Uh, no, well, I, okay, guys. I mean, I'm just a guy. Like, this is very nice of you. I really appreciate it, but um, not sure if my question about the Utah fighter NDAs made it, but yes, it did make it, so thank you. Endeavor about to back out of that WWE deal. Why? I didn't hear anything. Did something happen? Scott Coker just get... <laughs> I don't think that's going to help Bellator at this point. Uh, five add in the how to avoid being cynical, e.g., inflation, UFC drying the lawsuit with their money, late stage. Um, boy, that's a great question. I don't, I, I how to avoid being cynical as an MMA fan if you're like upset at the state of the industry. Um, I don't bring this up because I don't know how much you guys want to hear it. I get letters, I shouldn't say letters, but I get emails. I get emails from MMA fans. I'd say about one a week, but I got, there's certain weeks where I'll get like two or three. I'm not even doing a bit here. And you can choose to believe this or not. I don't care. Of people like just cashing out. You know, we talk about how people as fans kind of get burned out and then kind of just slowly fade away. But there's another kind of person who gets rejected. And this, by the way, happens in other sports too. Like, Dude, here in D.C., now there's been a massive return 
since the change in ownership. But like how many people just abandoned the Washington football team, whatever you want to say, how many people just abandoned it? Cause they were just so depressed about the state of things. Like people just left. They just left, you know, they were like number one or close to number one in attendance. And they're like one of the worst, if not the worst, like, you know, from worst to first or from first to worst. Um, people just kind of zonk out. There's, I get emails from fans all the time being like, I just can't stand the way the industry is structured. I can't stand how this works. I can't stand it. And then they just say they leave. Do they mean it? I don't know. Do you believe them? Up to you. But it is unusual that I get emails like that fairly regularly. It's kind of, I mean, I won't say it's surprising because I guess I understand it, but um, it does happen. It does happen more than you might think. Do you think that the UFC's war on the media has messed up the collective knowledge of the fan base? I, you know, um, war on the media is a strong word. I don't know if they've declared war. I mean, they still welcome them there to the to most of them anyway to the uh, to the events. War is not an accurate description, but they like to have. Listen, the guys who run the UFC like to have control. They like to have control over lots of things, and they don't want anyone to influence that level of control if that can at all be avoided. Um, and that creates friction. Um, do I think that that has messed up the fan base to an extent? I think the bigger issue is just turnover, though. It's not that. Thoughts on the boat fight in Montgomery, Alabama? Man, we should have got to that on MK. Was that not amazing? The 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 Montgomery, Alabama, just beat down. <laughs> And then when you hear the story, it's like, dude, they had this boat. The riverboat couldn't dock for 45 minutes because these fucking drunk rednecks wouldn't move their fucking. This is this one I'm talking about, like, when I left the South, dude. I don't miss the South at all. At all. I know some people think that the South has its charm, and it does. There are obviously wonderful people who live in all parts of the world, including the South. And there's miserable people who live in all parts of the world. and so, But, dude, drunk rednecks on a boat is like. It just is such a turnoff for me. I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't, I can't be around people like that. I just can't do it. I can't do it. You know, everyone's going to be different. Fine. I'm not telling you how to live. You like, if you live in Montgomery, Alabama and you like it, fine, man. Cool. Enjoy it. I'm not here to take it away from you, but it ain't for me. It ain't for me. It ain't for me at all. And, uh, you know, and then just beating up the fucking guy working on the dock for doing his, his job. Like, dude, like, you know. I don't know if every form of beatdown that was handed out was entirely ethical or fair, you know, because it was just this melee in every way. But like the people, the the people on that boat who fuck with that guy and then everyone with them, boy, I gotta tell you, I don't feel bad about the ass whooping they took. Not at all. In fact, I kind of enjoyed it to be <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, just miserable, awful people. Miserable, awful people. You know, and 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 uh, God, I cannot stand certain entitled redneck dude. Entitled rednecks are the worst. They're the worst. They're the worst. They're the worst, dude. And you know they were drinking on that boat, dude. You know they were. They're out there doing whatever the fuck they were doing, drinking on that boat. All this, and they they can't even the business can't even dock. You know, so people are stuck. Can you imagine being stuck on that goddamn boat because you can't dock because these fucking rednecks don't want to move their pontoon boat? I mean, you know. <laughs> I I got to tell you, I just had zero sympathy for the ass whooping they took. Just none of it. I couldn't, you know. And again, I'm sure that there's some version where some people took it too far or whatever. Sure. Let people who want to Zapruder that film do that. But I, uh, you don't often see righteous beatdowns. Actually, a, a truly righteous beatdown, 
are actually pretty rare. You know, they're not that usually situations are a little more muddled and someone could have done this. And someone, I don't know, man. That one seemed pretty fair for the most part. I, that, oh, God, I cannot stand suntanned, drunk, boating rednecks. Ugh. The worst kind of people. The worst. The fucking worst. The worst. The worst, dude. Because I had to go to high school with people like that, dude. And you, oh, my Lord. The shit they say, the conversations they have, these these are <laughs> these are these are deeply incurious people, deeply incurious, you know. And then and then to turn and that's why. Listen, and you can be incurious. That's that's no, that's not a crime. But then to then hit the guy, and you're the one who's fucked with the the boat for forty. I mean. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Just watched UFC 263 when Nate wobbled Leon in round five. Why didn't Nate follow up with a W? It's a question people get asked. I don't really know what the answer is. Uh, seemed like he gave Leon three seconds to recover. P.S. I bumped into you at Brooklyn Pint. Thanks for the pick. Oh, shit. So uh, Brooklyn is a neighborhood in Northeast D.C. They got a restaurant there that's pretty good called uh, Brooklyn's, uh, uh, Brooklyn Pint. There's one called Brooklyn's Finest as well. And um, it's right off the metro. So we like to we like to hop off and go. And... Uh, and I, there was a, I think this was a waiter that we had that one day. We had a waiter one day who was like an MMA fan, and uh, he was super cool. He was he was all quiet and stuff. And um, anyway, long story short, I get recognized in DC sometimes, but um, why didn't Nate follow up? It's the million dollar question. I don't I don't know if he thought he didn't have enough time. He also likes to play games where he does that shit where he like points and laughs like it's all part of the show, and he didn't have the same kind of like focused. Um, he didn't have the same kind of finishing focus that he probably should have. It's it's an important question. But at the same time, it's like the Jake Paul thing. He got out of it what he wanted to. Like when when Nate was hitting the guillotine on Jake, everyone's like, yeah, that's the real thing. That's all he had to do. And then, of course, he kind of came on late in that fight in the 10th. That's all he had to do. It's really all he had to do against Leon. It's like that's all his fans want, you know? How many f- years did Francis versus Tyson Fury take off of Dana White's life? Um, probably not that much, but the fact that it's on ESPN Plus, I, that that probably isn't his favorite. I meant Usman as Islam is champion fifty five. I don't know what this is in reference to, so I'm sorry, sir, that you have to give money. E- email me if I if you would like a better answer than I'm able to give. Just reference this, please. Hey, mate, thoughts on Kaikar France versus Manel Cop? Ooh. I haven't given that too much thought. That is a hell of a fight. I think that I would favor Kaikar of France, but I think cops' unpredictability make him a very, very dangerous foe, and that makes it a very exciting fight as well. So Kaikar of France to me has got, overall, he's got a little more technically sound game, but I think cops a better athlete and is vastly more unpredictable with it. There you go. Same thing. Kind of been over it. Highly encourage researching peer-reviewed published research. All the best. Yes. Can never go wrong. Well, I won't say you can never go wrong, but in general, you can go much more right that way. Uh, just felt like saying Morning Combat is the best combat show out there. Dude, this is really nice of you guys. I feel embarrassed that I even started the show that way, but I'm just, you know, I am where I am. But, but thank you, Timothy. I appreciate it. Uh Oh, boy, you're trying to, this man has, this man has spent like 50 bucks today 
on open mic comedy right here. And I haven't fallen for any of it, I don't think. But uh, I appreciate the donations. Last but not least, Legit MK is the only MMA show I watch. Uh, I disagree with you on a lot, Faith and Politics, but, man, I've been riding with you since the MMA beat days. Well, thank you, bro. I appreciate that. And love you, NBC, whatever you do. I'll be sure to come along. Um, well, thanks, man. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. Oh, last one. Had a weird disagreement with my girlfriend a couple weeks ago. At what stage or point, if any, would you interfere in any observed crime you see? It would take a lot. I've seen crimes. Uh, if someone's shoplifting, I'm not going to do shit. I'm not, I'm not, dude, I live in the United States of America. There are over 300 million guns in circulation in this country. You think I'm going to fucking risk some 15-year-old pulling it out at TJ Maxx because they wanted to steal some fucking clothes? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interfering at all. The only time I've ever really interfered was when I saw a guy uh, hit a woman um, on the street in New York city, me and my a buddy of mine was with me. Thank God I wasn't alone. And we were able to, to interfere while one of us called the, he called the cops. I got in the middle and then it kind of like diffused the situation. So she didn't get continuously hit on, but he was fucking big. He was a fucking big guy. Um, that's the only time I've ever really, I mean, there may be another one I'm not thinking of right now, but that like shit like that, or, you know, there's road rage incident. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dying on 395 because someone's having a bad day. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, this is a dangerous country in certain ways like that. I'm not, not playing that game at all. All right. Last but not least, how many rounds of power slap will BC Abraham and Shaq last? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm five. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what the numbers would be. I don't know. Um, listen guys, I really appreciate today. I'm sorry. I had started such a sour note, but like, I'm just having such a rough time, but um, you guys have made me feel uh, uh, better, so I really appreciate that. I will get this on podcast tonight. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to call it a day. Um, can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys today and every day. Thank you so much. I'm out of here. Until next time, stay frosty. Yeah? <laughs>